0: the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales.
1: And a very good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Coming up, we hear the latest on the flood information as uh, Forbes is uh, bracing for the worst flood they've seen there for 70 years. More details from the SES shortly. Also, the United States have been given the green light to send Fresh apples to Australia—that's much to the disappointment of local growers and the local industry.
2: It's not something that we're particularly happy about. Well, they've certainly got pests that we don't have and pests that we don't want. Things like the brown marmorated stink bug. Um, you know, we're also um, biosecurity is also front of mind with um, uh, the threat of foot and mouth disease and, and and things like lumpy skin disease and so on. So we're not confident the government has the right. To Um, uh, programs in place to prevent these things happening.
1: More on that story shortly about the US bringing apples into Australia but uh, first up today let's uh, look at the flooding situation and the uh, general weather situation as well and uh, because we have heard uh, earlier in the week that that uh, flash flooding, that wild weather, caused uh, widespread damage and those floodwaters now are moving through parts of central and southern New South Wales. Now major flooding uh, is forecast uh, to hit Forbes uh, and it hasn't been uh, flooding at this level since the 1950s and we're hearing uh, that there are quite a few evacuation orders for quite a number of towns. Uh, and uh, Adam Jones is a spokesperson for the SES, and he joins me now. He's just had a briefing from the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon.
3: G'day. uh, Hello, everyone out there.
1: Now, Adam, turning first of all to the warnings, evacuation warnings, and there's quite a number of towns that you're watching at the moment.
3: There absolutely is. We've got uh, 20 rivers currently with flood warnings out for it. We've got 11 of those rivers with major listed against those flood warnings which is which is concerning and the biggest thing is if you look up the sun is shining in the majority of new south wales and there's blue skies blue sky flooding yeah blue sky flooding and so people are really you know in a lot of the in, in a lot of the areas if the flooding isn't exactly where they can see it it's out of sight out of mind and so we're asking the community everywhere to really pay a lot of attention to where you're moving Um, and if you're living in an area that is under flood warning um, to really pay attention Um, we've had 105 SES flood warnings out of which 22 are those emergency warnings which include some of them include evacuation warnings Um, we've got Forbes with possible um, record flooding happening Um, you know we haven't seen this level since 1952 Um, It'll be higher than everything that's hit there this year. And so we're working again, I say again, and we're going to use that word a few times during this this little chat, with that community um, to prepare themselves this year um, for another set of flooding. And if you're you're in Forbes, um, by 4pm this afternoon, we're asking everyone to evacuate uh, in the areas. And everything we say here... Um, with the warnings we're asking you to go to the New South Wales SES website and it's really interactive you can click on and with all of the warnings we have are based on communities and so people can click on it and actually find out you know you listen to a radio interview and you hear a time or you hear something and what was it jump on there and it'll tell you exactly what's happening for your community and where you are or where you're going possibly or where your loved ones are so you can see what's happening in those areas and they're, they're kept up to date.
1: And there are some evacuation centres that are opening as well. I mean, last time people didn't evacuate. They didn't move to the evacuation centres. You're thinking that uh, this time there'll be more water around. There's more risk of flooding.
3: Yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, you know, when you've been flooded a few times in a row, mm. um, you know, you get a bit complacent and we're out there, we're door knocking, working with our partner agencies in town to make sure that we can, we can get the message out there and get people to safety. Uh, we don't put out evacuation warnings lightly at all we are fully aware of the impact that that has Uh, and so we're asking everyone if you're in an area that is uh, under an evacuation order to actually make sure you get in there if there's a a, a emergency warning with an evacuation product listed there get out Um, whenever we put an evacuation instructions for an area we always open an emergency evacuation center uh, so there is never a reason for anyone to think they're not going to have somewhere to go or a, or a roof over their head. But as the Aussie spirit is, we all want to reach out and help. So, you know, as, as we just talked about Forbes, but we're going to talk about Gunnedah. We're going to talk about Walgett as well. That's right. So there's because, quite a number of centres.
1: Yeah. Walgett as well too that's on yep. the, under the microscope. So there's a, un, microscope. So there's quite a number of towns right across New South Wales.
3: And so if you're in one of these areas and you know someone who's going to be affected, and you want to help, the best thing you can do, if it's appropriate to do so, is to offer someone in those areas somewhere to stay. Um, There's nothing more comforting than going to a friend or family's house. Uh, you know, a evacuation centre is more than adequate, but there is something about also chipping in and helping. Uh, the other thing you can do is to make sure that you're not, you know, going into these areas and tourists. You know, we get disaster tourists. We're making sure people aren't going out there um, when they're driving around, going around road close signs, checking live traffic, checking the local council website and never drive through floodwater. You don't know what's under it.
1: That's right. And a lot of those those roads have been washed away. You wouldn't know because there's floodwater over them. Infrastructure of bridges is under question in some parts as well. And we're hearing a lot of farm properties and uh, river frontage Uh, on uh, certain farms now underwater, crops underwater, so uh, the damage bill mounting. Now, what's the latest from the bomb saying about the weather? Are we going to see a bit of a reprieve on the rain?
3: Yeah, so they're saying settled conditions over the next couple of days. Um, There will still be some showers around, um, you know, in the whole state, but predominantly we're talking settled conditions at least for the next couple of days. But possibly on Monday um, we might see some some, uh, small isolated thunderstorms uh, coming back, um, but at least for a little while, we're going to have, as we keep saying, blue sky floods. But we're asking the community not to be complacent. Um, we, we said Walgett before; that's been isolated. Uh, Gunada is again. Um, I think it's the fifth time um, Gunada is going to be uh, uh, flooded, and that'll that'll hit the same peak as it did earlier this week, um, earlier last week. Sorry. Uh, then we're going down to Walga, and we you know, that all of northern Wagga um, has products out for it to uh, give people warnings, of um, emergency warnings there. Um, anyone outside the levee has been asked to evacuate and anyone in that north Wagga area um, has also been asked to evacuate. So it's really important to keep looking there. And then if we go down to... Uh, Moama, which everyone will know from Achuka, Moama, um, on the Murray. And we're working really closely with Vic SES and the cross-border commissioner there to make sure we're working hand in glove. Um, But there's still emergency evacuation warnings out for those areas there. And it's really important that across the whole state, we're paying attention to what's happening and making sure that we're making safe, right decisions. We've had 15 flood rescues in the last 24 hours during this blue sky Um, moment Um, and so it is something that we can all get into no one no one thinks to themselves oh I'm I'm not going to make it through this but I'm going to drive through anyway everyone thinks when they get to a flooded road they're going to get through and so we're asking everyone do not drive through flood water you don't know what's under it and you're damaging the road.
1: Adam Jones thanks for your time on the program today.
3: Really appreciate it. Stay safe, everyone.
1: It's coming up to a quarter past 12 here on The Country Hour. Now a reporter, Hamish Cole, is in Forbes this, Forbes, afternoon, this afternoon and he joins, and me and joins me now. Good afternoon, good afternoon Hamish. Good what good are good the conditions in like the in Forbes like at the like moment? Forbes at the moment
4: good afternoon michael yeah i'm just standing in front of lake forbes in the in town and the we've seen you know this is the the largest flooding we've really seen since we've been here in the last couple of when we've been here in the last couple of months so people are starting to really up up their preparation we were just down at the sandbagging station just near the ses dozens of cars there with their trailers picking up those sandbags as they prepare for the the major flooding the record flooding that is expected to arrive it's been the time of that's been pushed back to friday evening slash saturday morning so uh It's expected to hit about 10.8 metres uh, tomorrow. Currently, it's at 10.45 metres, the the flood level at the Forbes Iron Bridge, which is uh, still very high, close to that major flood level of 10.55 metres, which it is expected to hit sometime this afternoon. Okay, and uh, what are you hearing from
1: the locals? uh, What are you hearing from the locals?
4: Yeah, there's a lot of concern from some of the locals. We were just speaking with one of the local uh, sheep shearing stock agents, and they've been uh, moving all their their products up to to higher levels in their in their business, and lots of sandbaggings going on. So there is a real concern that this flood is going to be as as dangerous as they are expecting. The the local mayor Phyllis Miller, uh, she said she's very concerned given the likelihood of homes and businesses being inundated. So there is a real you know we heard last time we were here a few weeks ago when we had those evacuation orders people didn't quite heed them yeah, this time it's right. a different it's that's a different right. story this time i think mm. people are very concerned about the situation
1: and the outlook for the days ahead the
4: yeah, so it's looking like, as I mentioned, Friday evening, Saturday morning, we will see that major, that record flood peak similar to the June 1952 flood. And as you were just saying, with yes, yes, it is quite a, a nice day here. But mm. with those releases from Waiangula Dam, which is currently at 105% capacity, there's still spills of 80,000 millilitres. That was overnight. So that flood water, that water moving downstream, that's the real concern. Combined with the heavy rainfall we've seen, that these this will cause just that major major flooding uh, to occur in Forbes. So right now, though, it's looking like Friday evening, Saturday morning will hit that record. Um, but it's a, a wait and see game at the moment.
1: And the farmers in the, the region, what have, what have they been saying?
4: Yeah, you know, this is an area uh, we were here a few months ago, Michael, that mm. was when we're talking about those those floods and a heavy rainfall and it's just been another hit to them so there is just a real feeling that of desperation and, and frustration with this situation uh, today there's the an operation going on with the between the LLS and a few SES crews to try airlift uh, 1000 ewes and lambs as we heard yesterday that's ongoing today uh, we're not too sure what the how that is uh, how that operation is going at the moment but that kind of just shows that the level of flooding that we're seeing here with a lot of paddocks uh, underwater with those great cropping area that is here, lots of canola, lots of wheat, uh, as it's just started to to rain again. As I said, it was quite nice conditions. So, uh, yeah, it's it's looking like going to be another tough couple of days for farmers in the area. Hamish Cole, Cole, we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's 17 past
1: 12 on the Country Hour. Well, more on that preparation and anxiety from the community in Forbes. Phyllis Miller, which Hamish was just talking about it there, Phyllis Miller is the Mayor of Forbes, and she's speaking here to the ABC's Alex James.
5: There is. And and people, we've got a pretty resilient community. Everyone helps each other, and um, we're all nervous. Uh, Anyone that said they weren't uh, would not be telling the truth because... It's untethered waters for a lot of us that are now in leadership in the community uh, that have not been through this before. So uh, we're depending on all of the science, we're depending on all of the um, advice we get and hopefully we come out the other end. And so long as no one loses their life, we can always put infrastructure back.
6: How prepared is Forbes, Phyllis? I mean, Forbes is generally a pretty uh, flood-knowledgeable town. Uh, I mean, it was just three weeks ago we were having definitely not the same conversation, but a, but a similar one. How prepared are they for this?
5: We're very prepared. We've been doing sandbags since the beginning of August. We've been flooded since July, so we've been sandbagging and making sure we had supplies all of this time. Um, I think we were the forgotten flood. Alex because we have been in flood for so long our farmers it is so distressing on on what they've lost with flood waters it's it's heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking
6: yeah and I can imagine that um, you know being so connected with the community you're probably hearing that outcry more than most
5: absolutely Uh, my my phone number is very public Uh, I'm here to serve the community so Uh, they don't hesitate to give me a call if they need something and and that's my job and that's my role and I'm more than happy to do that. So, yeah, I hear lots of stories um, and, you know, some of them break your heart.
6: In town, uh, as you mentioned, we're expecting a lot of water to come through the town, parts of the CBD especially. Are you expecting homes there to be inundated?
5: Oh, there'll definitely be homes inundated without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, all through those low-lying areas within the township. Um, even where I live on a hill, there's only about two hills, I think, in port, and I live on one of them, so I'm a very lucky person, but I have water views like you have never seen.
6: It must be it must be quite startling, Phyllis, to see the town like this. It is. It's,
5: um, you go to so much trouble to make your town beautiful and livable and a great place to live, and then... A flood comes and it's so deflating, I think, for everybody uh, because there's such a big job to get it back on track after the flood goes.
1: Phyllis Miller is the Mayor of Forbes, uh, still on the flooding, Dairy farmers in the Central West, they're being forced to dump their milk as flooded roads prevent trucks from getting on-farm to collect it. One farmer's property's been completely cut off with power outages also affecting operations. Colin Thompson is chair of the New South Wales Farmers' Dairy Committee, Farms in Cowra, and says the impact of the recent flooding has been worse than anything in the past year.
7: What we're seeing is the impact of one of the largest floods that uh, we've seen in over 20 years here in, in the Loughlin Valley. And um, and as this flood, this flood water moves down the valley, it's restricting access, access to farms and towns and making it very difficult for uh, milk trucks to collect milk. Some farms can hold two days' milking, um, but yeah, we're, we're, one, we're collected every day, so we can only hold one day's milking and, and um, that milk has to be dumped.
8: And what kind of a financial hit is it for dairy operations for a farmer to have to dump their milk like this?
7: It can be significant depending on how long they have to dump it and how soon they can get uh, tanker access uh, back on the farm. But uh, it, we saw a similar situation actually last November. And uh, processors have worked with farmers and, and helped them out in that regard. And uh, hopefully that help will continue to come.
8: And when did uh, road access start becoming a problem like this?
7: In this particular flood event, it's, uh, it's only happened from this morning. Um, so we weren't able to uh, have tanker access this morning and we expect that will continue for the next three or four days. But further down the river, downstream, um, that uh, it could go out to two or three weeks. Uh, just depending on how long this flood takes to, to move move downstream. There's a longer impact here of ruined crops and food supply, and, and that's going to be critical in the months to come. This is spring, is when we grow our food, it's when we conserve hay and silage and, and, and harvest grain. And, and there's a lot of crops going ruined over the last couple of days.
8: And uh, I hear there's been power outages as well. How serious of a problem is that?
7: Yeah, it's it's certainly quite significant if, uh, if the farm doesn't have their own uh, power source or generator. Um, most farms do have generators, but I believe there has been a farm that uh, has a significant power outage and, and didn't have a generator. So it's not only uh, for milk storage and cooling, but it's also to be able to milk the cows and feed the cows. So that, that is quite a significant problem.
1: Colin Thompson is a Cowra dairy, Cowra dairy farmer and chair of New South Wales Farmers Dairy Committee. It's 23 minutes past 12. Well, let's head to Victoria now, where damage in the area around Echuca is starting to become more apparent as the floodwaters slowly start to recede. Kate Burke is a former agronomist and agricultural researcher who lives in Moama. She spoke to our reporter, Luke Radford, on a tour of the affected areas.
8: Our landscape here is really diverse. So we've got sort of creek systems that run through irrigation areas. We've got flat, you know, border check irrigation areas, and then we've got Broadacre as well. And so on our left for the moment, we're driving alongside uh, one of the larger irrigation channels, and then on the right we've got Broadacre wheat crops. So it really goes from a... all the way from south of Elmore to north of um, Mawama, and it's heading up towards Daniliquin. To the west it goes... All the way over past Kerrang and to the east, it um, goes east of Shepherdon. So it's just a mammoth event, really.
9: And in terms of the impacts on the actual, I mean, we, we've seen broadacre crops this morning that have been properly flattened, and that's that's game over. But really, for a lot of these other crops, it's going to be the long game. That's going to be the interesting thing to keep an eye on, isn't it?
8: Yeah, that's right. It'll be, d- depend on how how long they sit in in water or whether the water can get away from from individual crops and it, every farm is different and I guess that's the message I'm really cautious about generalizing because you only have to go a little bit further west into the Mallee and the Wimra there's there's water over there too but there's still some terrific looking crops with great potential and even around here the the potential of the crops that will survive and be harvested is probably double what they normally would be. So, for some individuals, you know, the, the good stuff will override the bad stuff. And then for some really unlucky individuals who just happen to be farming in the lower spots, you know, they'll, they'll have some huge financial impact so it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all situation.
9: And in terms of the the financial impacts I mean it's it's hard to say what that looks like because as you mentioned it's so individual in so many ways but especially with with what we've seen this year with the the high impact of of these input costs that have just gone through the roof I mean again I hate to ask you to generalise but what kind of impact you, are you expecting to see, at least?
8: Well, I guess the first impact on that is just the mental impact. Like I know they've spent 30 to 40% more than normal. They've been chasing a yield potential that's double normal. And now we've got this horrendous wait of four to six weeks to see what the outcome will be. And, and that's going to be a, a really challenging time.
1: Kate Burke from Think Agri, a former agricultural researcher and agronomist speaking there with Luke Rape. It's 26 past 12.
2: You're listening to The Country Hour
9: on ABC Radio New South Wales.
1: Bit of a backflip now. Russia says it will resume its participation in a deal freeing up grain exports from war-torn Ukraine. That reverses a move that world leaders had said would threaten to exacerbate global hunger. The UN-backed grain deal had helped ease a global food crisis by lifting Russia's blockade on Ukrainian grain exports. The prospect that it could fall apart this week had revived those fear of global global hunger, and they pushed prices up quite substantially as well. Denis Vosnesitsky is a Rabobank analyst. He says part of the reason for the backlib is that Russia was having trouble selling its grain to the world.
10: Yeah, well, that's exactly what continuously happens during any wars. You look historically, ups and downs based on little bits of news that come out and then turns out that they're not true the next day or the politicians change their mind the next day and prices go back down or go back up Uh, in terms of a bit of a rerun of what happened. uh, So we had the grain deal in place since late August. So that's when they signed it. Grain exports actually went to Pretty lofty levels, uh, even compared to last year. So, in October, the first two weeks of October, uh, wheat, barley, and corn exports nearly reached the same amount as they were at this time last year before the, the war actually ever uh, started. Uh, then, on the weekend, as you say, Ukraine bombed a Russian Navy uh, facility. Uh, Russian response said, We're going to be canceling the grain deal now. Uh, prices went up 6, 7, 8%, depending on which time you look, uh, since Saturday. Uh, and then, over the weekend, uh, sorry, not over the weekend, last night, uh Russia came out and said, you know what, grand deal's back on, and prices went back to what they were uh, before any of this started.
1: And do we know why? Was it pressure from other countries, like maybe Turkey mm-hmm. or somewhere, you know, African buyers or the UN or maybe China?
10: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And at this point, we can only speculate. But uh, this is from what I've been hearing. So Turkey, uh, they not they're not just a consumer of Russian wheat, but they imported for milling and then they sell the flour yeah. to yeah. say africa mm-hmm. and if you look at all the allies that russia has well that pool keeps declining but you have turkey you have africa so if you disrupt the trade with those two regions that annoys them and then you've got to think about who's the other ally at the moment uh of russia it would be china and i would assume uh if this was done without china's knowledge they would get quite upset uh considering that they they are a large importer of any grains and oil seed and even if directly maybe they weren't thinking of importing wheat or corn or barley or whatever else from Ukraine in the coming weeks indirectly it just means higher global prices and it's a bigger bill for China
1: so and they may want to buy Ukrainian wheat they've been buying some Australian wheat so they they're in the market to buy buy wheat so hmm. something like this forcing the price up they wouldn't be that happy
10: No, they wouldn't be happy. And in regards to Australia, I mean, some people say, okay, well, it's a bit odd that they're not buying our barley, but they are buying our wheat. China tends to go from the way I understand it. They go where it makes economical sense. If it makes economical sense to buy from Australia, they buy from Australia, despite the political tension. If it makes sense to go buy wheat from America, they go buy wheat from America. And arguably, the the exchange of words between the US and China have been uh, stronger than the exchange of words between Australia and China in the past. And they continue to buy products
1: from there, And Russia's having trouble selling its own wheat. Tell me about that, because uh, even though there's no sanctions on wheat, because food is considered to be exempt by the UN, because they're worried about hunger in places like Ethiopia, but a lot of people aren't trading with Russia, because politically they're on the nose.
10: Well, yeah, that's another interesting one. So uh, officially Russia said the reason they cancelled the Grain Deal for those few days or, back, or started backpedaling on it uh, was because of the attack on their Navy facility. But there's also talk about the fact that Even though they have a large crop, they're struggling to export it, which to me isn't such a big surprise because, uh, I mean, you attack a country uh, so visually, globally, and an ally of the West, and then you're surprised that Western, uh, Western companies or Western private industry doesn't want to deal as much with you anymore. I don't think that's a surprise. Uh, but it is limiting their exportability, and that's, I think, definitely something that would have been part of the negotiations over the last couple of days of maybe changing the deal in some way. Maybe they were saying they can't get the insurance they need, uh, they can't export as much as they preferably want. So they said even though the sanctions weren't officially in anything food or fertilizer related, uh, the lack, there was a, a lacking or reduced engagement between western industry and russia which is not surprising uh, ever since the war started
1: so there may have been some deal about you know that the uh, loosening some of those uh, restrictions on russia to allow mm. them to export what has been they've got an amazing crop there to that they uh, mm. that they want to sell
10: yeah well that's what they're saying they say they have a big crop uh how much of that wheat is ukrainian and corn is ukrainian we don't know but presumably part of it would have been if you look at the estimates inside russia they have actually been declining over the last couple of weeks uh and more yeah more importantly we don't actually know How much they can get out of the country that's the challenge right now globally even if say stocks rise you look at the usda if they say stocks are rising year on year if they say we get into next year that's the case but you got to look at where are the stocks rising right now they're rising in countries that theoretically can't get that all that grain out of the country and that's what matters price is impacted not just by supply overall it's about supply that can actually get to the market and you look at the three countries in the world where stocks are building. You look at Australia. Well, we have a lot of grain, but we can't get it all out of the country. And that's a bit of an old story now. But Ukraine, similar situation, but to the extreme. They have this uh, They have the situation with not able to export as much as they could before the war, even though it's improving. And then you have Russia. And, well apparently they're meant to have a really large crop, but the question is how much can they get out of the country because their export facilities are limited as well. But not only that, as you just said, Western companies are hesitant uh, in dealing with Russia.
1: Dennis Vosnizinsky is a Rabobank analyst talking about the Russian grain deal. It was off, it's back on. They've had a backflip from Russia. Some people say because they found they didn't have receptive buyers for their own Russian grains, or so they had to had to do the backflip there. It's 27 minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Let's find out what's happening in the elsewhere in the news. Adam Story is there. Good afternoon.
11: Good afternoon. Well, obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on the flood Flooding situation, si- yes, uh, right. in, uh, particularly Forbes this afternoon, um, where they're expecting the first of the major peaks, and then... Uh, Probably more uh, Wagga Wagga tomorrow with uh, residents in North Wagga Wagga and Gumly Gumly. They've gotten to late a.m. tomorrow uh, to leave before there. And oh, there's also concerns with the Namoi River reaching a similar height to last week's flood.
1: With Gunnedah and Walgarts and various yeah. other towns in that region as well. So, yeah, flooding
11: just about everywhere. Everywhere, mm. yeah. So we have our team in place, which will keep us up to date. Mm. Uh, the federal government is demanding answers from Australia Post and MBN Co to explain why executives will pay bonuses worth tens of millions of dollars. Uh, the communications minister, Michelle Rowland, has written to both organisations asking them to justify how it's a good use of uh, taxpayers' money. But
1: it wasn't watches this time.
11: It wasn't watches, it was actual <laughs> good old fashioned. Moolah. Moolah, cash, (laughs) coin. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of coin, the uh, anti-money laundering watchdog has launched investigations into two of the nation's biggest online sports betting companies over money laundering concerns. Uh, it's appointed external auditors to asp- assess sports bet and uh, bet 365's compliance with any anti money laundering laws and counter terrorism finance laws, and both companies could face multi million dollar Interesting. There was
1: an interesting report I saw on the ABC. Earlier this week, about the concerns about how much money laundering there is in the pokies.
11: The pokies is yeah, the big concern, yeah. um, and actually, that's uh, and that
1: sort of ma- makes sense to me now when you yeah, think about it. They yeah. said,
11: well, it, in the report, they said it is the last place where you could. It's it's it is actually cash going mm, through mm, through the system that's right. um, yeah. and undetected. Yeah, and um,
1: completely undetected. And yeah, un- I mean, you have you would have video surveillance, but I mean, yeah. that's not going to be necessarily very helpful
11: so dominic perrita he's under pressure to introduce this uh gaming card mm. um which mm. the independents want uh he says that legislation for the gambling reforms won't be debated uh this year but they will be before the election right. but uh he has stopped short of saying what the plans are mm. um so we'll and see. And, of
1: course, yeah. then you get the backlash from the clubs because they rely on the pokey money, so... Absolutely, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm.
11: Uh, overseas, North Korea's... Uh, well, the Kim Jong-un's playing with his toys again. He's fired more ballistic missiles, including one that triggered an alert for residents in parts of central and northern Japan. Uh, and That's the... They uh, launched about 10 towards uh, South Korea uh, yesterday. Um... Uh, Actually, I'll just correct that. 23 missiles as oh, of today, right. uh, including one that landed off uh, South Korea's coast for the first time. So these sort of things usually land in no man's land, mm. but uh, this one's actually come a bit uh, bit close to home. And in other military news, Australia is going to replace and double the size of its ageing fleet of American-made military cargo aircraft. It signed a $10 billion deal with the US, uh, and the US has approved the... Uh, sale of two dozen C 130 planes and related equipment, which would replace the RAAF's existing 12 Hercules aircraft. Mm. So, who have served us well oh, yeah. in the past. Yeah.
1: Many, many years. Yeah. Were they? World, uh, World War Two vintage, aren't they? Hercules? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
11: yeah. It's mm. a, end of an era for the yeah. old uh, the, the Hercs. That's
4: right.
1: Yes. <sighs> the biggest plane. In the, the it is the largest plane I think. Oh, uh, in, as far the, as uh, military size. Plane. No, I think it's oh, the just, largest generally. Plane just generally plane, generally, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hercules, yeah, yeah.
11: Bigger than the A three eighty. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and it, well, it's all cargo, of course, yeah. but it's huge. Mm. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, Adam. That's me, lot. Okay, we'll talk to you all later. Right. We'll be listening at one o'clock. It's uh, twenty three minutes to one here on the country. Let's find out what's happening with the weather details. Jordan Ataro at the bureau. Good afternoon. <laughs>
12: Yes, good afternoon, Michael. So
1: we're seeing a reprieve, as we were just heard from the SES, so a reprieve for a few days in terms of rain. That's good, but it hasn't stopped the flooding, of course.
12: Yeah, we've been seeing generally quite winter-like conditions across the state over the last couple of days, obviously with that snow a few days back around the higher parts. And again, clear skies today leading to some quite cool mornings in many areas with Tamworth getting down to a couple of degrees this morning and breaking its November record as well. As for the remainder of the day, we are going to see a couple of light showers around parts of the southern ranges and slopes, but it is going to be very light and on the order of a couple of millimeters isolated here or there. As we get towards Friday, we are going to start to see some winds start to tend more onshore, so we are going to see some coastal showers up and down central and northern parts of the coastline through Friday. More of that's gonna follow as we get towards Saturday with potentially a couple of storms around the far northeast corner. But we are looking at, again, some more isolated totals that may be obviously in the order of around five to 10 millimetres, but again, nothing significant at this stage over the long term. The next stage we're gonna be looking at for the inland areas. We're gonna to start to see a trough developing as we get towards the later part of Sunday, starting to edge further towards eastern parts inland areas as we head towards Monday and Tuesday. And that's going to start to see some more isolated totals. It may see some higher pockets here or there. But again, it is going to be more isolated totals and not more widespread that we've been seeing in past systems that have been moving through.
1: And at the moment, still major flood warnings on a number of inland rivers, or most of the inland rivers by the looks of things.
12: Correct. So we've got 10 major flood warnings current from the Bureau. Obviously, a very large number of evacuation warnings been issued by the State Emergency Service. Uh, the latest observations are at 10.49 metres at Iron Bridge at Forbes and we're anticipating that to continue to increase reaching major flooding later in the day. So 10.55 being the major flood level and then anticipating the potential for it reaching 10.8 metres as we head into Saturday um, from Friday, with that potential again of breaking our um, all-time record for that site back from June 1952, and that's again leading to widespread uh, major flooding impacts across the Forbes area, and that's going to be flowing downstream and seeing some additional peaks as we start to see a number of different floodwaters combining together and flowing further downstream.
1: Yeah, that's right, because the 52 flood set record a number of towns down the Lachlan River, didn't it, as a result when that, when that happened in '52,
12: Correct. So downstream down to Condobolin, further downstream again to Jirambong. We've basically got a number of sites. We're obviously looking at very similar impacts to the 1952 um, June flood down through the Lachlan Um, So there is going to be, again, a continuing focus that we want the community to continue to listen to community radio and obviously advise from the State Emergency Service as we have these quite significant and quite uh, notable flooding occurring obviously noting that we have seen significant flooding in the past weeks and months but this is going to be one that is quite notable as we go through the next few days.
1: Yeah, Indeed okay and uh, when might there be so there's a bit of a reprieve but there is there any any more rain systems on the horizon in the next seven days?
12: Not necessarily rain systems that we can say there's definitely obviously impact well, that we've good. been seeing Yeah, so we are starting to see some moisture come back in. As I noted, we are starting to see those winds tend back towards the easterlies. That's not great news, typically, obviously, for starting to see some more widespread showers form and potentially some more widespread storms. Nothing at the moment has got any confidence to say exactly which day that's going to occur, but there is, as we get towards the next week, going to be, I guess, a renewed focus that we're going to have to go back towards the forecast as we go day by day to start to see when that day is going to be, as we are in our modelling, still indicating a generally wetter than average um, month as a whole, and obviously knowing that we've got those climate factors in the background that are going to lead towards the chances that we are going to see more rain across the state. Well,
1: they haven't changed. So they're still there, those climate factors of uh, wetter than average going into January still.
12: Correct. Even if you have a look onto the Bureau's website, obviously we have daily updates to our um, weekly and fortnightly updates to our um, climate climate modelling. Uh, it does paint the picture of potentially a, still a wetter than typical November into the coming weeks. Jordan, thanks for that. Catch you later, Michael.
1: Jordan Natara at the Bureau there, 19 minutes to one. Well, uh, to the flooding in the state south now, we are just talking about there with the Bureau. Uh, the Emergency Services Minister, Steph Cook, was uh, speaking a short time ago at Wagga Wagga.
0: Whilst we are starting to see blue skies emerge, which is very pleasing, and we will see uh, easing weather conditions over the next few days, uh, the flooding risk is very, very high at the moment. Many of our river systems are in significant flood, particularly the Lachlan, the Murrumbidgee uh, and the Murray. So in relation to Forbes, uh, we are anticipating uh, record floods uh, to move through that community. There are evacuation orders in place um, impacting five to 600 uh, people uh, and uh, their evacuation order is uh, to take effect by 4pm today. We also have evacuation orders in place uh, for the entire suburb of North Wagga, uh, and we are encouraging uh, um, people, uh, residents in both of those communities, uh, please don't leave it to the last minute to evacuate. We do put those timelines uh, on the evacuation, but we would like you to move sooner rather than later, uh, such is the risk that we believe uh, is uh, presented to your community at the moment. Uh, So as I've indicated, the main uh, areas of concern are definitely Forbes. We also saw overnight um, an evacuation order for Gunnedah, of course. Um, That community has experienced seven or eight floods now in the last few months. Down here in Wagga, this is the, the fourth peak to come through since August. Uh, I appreciate that communities right across uh, the central and southern New South Wales are exhausted. Uh, everyone is flood weary, uh, but we need to keep working through this. We need to keep working together. And I'm asking everyone in every community to please be aware of the risks as they present themselves to you in your community. We want you and your family to say, to stay safe at this time also encouraging people once again, or asking people, imploring people, please do not drive through floodwaters. Uh, We continue to respond uh, to flood rescues uh, night and day at present, uh, and that's disappointing in a lot of ways because we've been putting this messaging out now for months. Um, our rivers uh, tend to rise very quickly because the ground is saturated uh, and we are continuing to see peaks roll through the system even though there isn't water falling from the sky at the moment. Um, I think on that note I might just give a, a brief update in relation to the clean up efforts in Cootamundra which was Um, badly impacted by thunderstorms and flash flooding on Monday. Um, The SES, uh, supported by Fire Rescue, New South Wales and other emergency services organisations, have now completed um, the vast majority of rapid damage assessments in that community. Um, We've had 37 properties um, identified as being damaged and 23 of those are not uh, habitable. I had the opportunity to tour the town yesterday with uh, Mayor Charlie Sheehan having a look at the damage uh, to people's homes, meeting with those residents and also inspecting the damage done to our council and local infrastructure. So we will continue working with the federal government in relation to support measures for both councils, for primary producers of course who have continued to be impacted by this latest event, not to mention the events that have occurred earlier in this year Uh, and we will continue to work together to provide that very, very necessary support.
1: That was Emergency Services Minister Steph Cook at Wagga Wagga earlier. The Murrumbidgee River is expected to peak at Wagga Wagga tomorrow at 9.8 metres. And of course, uh, a historic uh, record flooding expected in Forbes as well, uh, higher than the 1952 peak. That's what they're expecting now. It's a quarter to one here on the Country Hour. Well, let's uh, turn our attention to overseas and to biosecurity issues because the United States has been given the green light to send fresh apples to Australia. The Australian Department of Agriculture has recommended apples from the U.S. be allowed, subject to strict biosecurity protocols. The fruit will be imported from the state of Washington, Idaho and Oregon. Batlow apple grower Greg Mowat, who's been in the industry for almost 40 years and he's a New South Wales Director of Apple and Pear Australia Limited, is not only worried about the biosecurity risk US apples would pose, but also the impact of oversupply will have here. He's speaking to Cara Jeffrey.
2: Well, it didn't come as any surprise. It's not something that we're particularly happy about. Um, it's just one of those processes that when a country um, applies to have product here that there is a process that's got to be gone through. In the past, the government has given the okay in the apple industry for, for Chinese they get to get access to our markets and also uh, the New Zealand uh, industry has access to our market.
13: They have been lobbying for 20 years for this to happen. So do you have concerns about biosecurity of US apples coming in with pests and other things that they could be bringing with them and impacting the crops here in Australia?
2: Well, they've certainly got pests that we don't have and pests that we don't want, things like the brown marmorated stink bug. Um, you know, we're also... Um, biosecurity is also front of mind with um, uh, the threat of foot and mouth disease and, and, and things like lumpy skin disease and so on. So we're not confident uh, that the, the government has the right um, uh, programs in place to prevent these things happening. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't want... Uh, fire blight, uh, which is which is a major um, disease in in palm fruit in uh, in the U.S. and it's also a major disease in in, um, in New Zealand. So, but uh, Australia is one of the free, uh, one of the few countries in the world that doesn't have either of those diseases. So, you know, the biosecurity has got to be rock solid, and the governments we've got to be right on it. It's it's marked to. Um, you know, to stop these diseases entering the country.
13: In terms of consultation for the uh, imports coming in from the US, do you feel that there has been enough consultation with uh, grower bodies on this?
2: Uh, Look, I think there has been consultation going on between our peak industry body, which is APAL, uh, and the government. That that continues to happen. Uh, the, The biggest issue now for the government is to make sure that the protocols that they have in place to keep these potential diseases out uh, are strong enough. Uh, again, we, we just don't want any risk whatsoever. I mean, you can't have nil risk, but you've, you've got to have programs in place that will absolutely limit uh, to a very, very high degree any possibility uh, these um, diseases will, will take hold in Australia.
13: Do any apples from Australia, do they get exported to the US? Is it, is it a situation where it's um, yeah, a back-and-forth arrangement now?
2: No, there's not. Uh, not that I'm aware of anyway. Australia is pretty much self-sufficient in, in, in the fruit. In fact, we've got an oversupply of apples at the moment. Um, you know, there's two things happening. Uh, we've, we've had programs that have uh, that have encouraged and shown growers how to be a lot more efficient off, off smaller areas. So that's given us an excess of fruit. So we're looking at exporting um, as much as we possibly can, and it's very much... Um, in its infancy at the moment, but uh, we're hoping that that will increase. But also our, our other biggest issue is the um, the lack of consumption by uh, or lack of yeah, lack of consumption by the general public. Um, we'd like to think that you know we could people would would eat more apples. Uh, you know at the moment we're only eating on an average uh, per head of population about one apple a week. So if we could in, increase that to two or even three, um, then we, we, we're not growing enough fruit in the country. So, you know, there are only small numbers when you say over a week, but a, a, as a whole it has a huge um, impact on on, um, on our production.
13: With that oversupply, with the US fruit coming in, will that just drive down prices when the market could be potentially flooded with locally grown apples and then you've got the imports? Is, are there concerns already from growers now that the price will come down?
2: Well, there is. Uh, I mean, at the moment, uh, supermarkets are putting the pressure right back on um, growers to be a lot more efficient and, um, and be providing product at a lower price. But, but right now, a, a lot of sales are below the cost of production. So there's pressure now on the industry um, and any, any added, added pressure or any added uh, volume that comes onto the market is just going to increase that pressure. Now, you know you've got to remember that we're we're very much a high cost production area with our with our cost of wages and 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 things like that you know with we're, we're the highest cost producers in the world so um, America new zealand uh, Chile uh, all the major growing uh, even europe um, all the major growing regions are producing uh, their apples uh, a lot less than what we are so it's very difficult for, for us as growers to be able to be competitive um, in the export markets. The only way re- we really can is by producing an extremely high-quality um, product that goes into the premium market, so it, it, that's difficult. So, with stuff coming into the country, it's only going to um, exacerbate the pain for, for, that growers are currently going through, um, and it'll do nothing for our industry.
1: Batlow apple grower Greg Mowat talking there to Kara Jeffrey. Well, the International Mining and Resources Conference kicked off yesterday in Sydney with a keen focus on how the mining world will turn green. It may be a surprising topic for discussion at a mining forum, but chatter about decarbonisation, climate change, and the industry's role in the net zero were uh, really on the agenda one company that spoke at the conference is mining rehab tech company dendra systems which operates in the upper hunter abc reporter bridget murphy asked its co-founder dr susan graham more about what she does in
9: that space dendra is an environmental technology company uh, seeking to enable environmental managers to restore lands at a global scale
13: And one thing you and I have in common is we both operate in the Upper Hunter.
9: So tell us a little bit about what you do kind of in the Upper Hunter and what you could see that you could be doing in that region. We're working with leading mining companies internationally, but also in the Upper Hunter to restore their land and rehabilitate the the land that's been disturbed and bring it back to a native ecosystem.
13: And we've had a few mines recently in the region in the Hunter and in other areas of Australia as well that have announced, you know, closure dates, wind down dates. How big of a task is it when you've got all of
9: this mining land to consider what you're going to do with it? What should those companies be looking at? Closure is something that actually starts right at the beginning now. Uh, that's not always been the case. In Australia, because some rehabilitation was left to the end, there are actually 80,000 abandoned mines across Australia, which is an enormous number. And so what we now see is what's called progressive rehabilitation. So thinking about closure, thinking about post-mining land use uh, is actually done upfront. And it is an enormous task, but it's an ongoing one. And so it's it's something that environmental management teams at each of these mine sites are carrying out every year so that when it comes to that final closure date, uh, it's just that little remainder component to make sure that the ecosystem is suitable and enduring. And how do you think they're going so far? Well, you know, we capture huge amounts of data across a number of different mine sites. And the the thing is is that ecosystem restoration is really challenging. There are so many threats to restoring an ecosystem and particularly in those early five to ten years, first five to ten years of, of restoring a site. There are invasive species that are out there to smother all the natives that have been seeded. Erosion every time it rains can tear away the soil. So it really is very, very challenging. And uh, some sites face uh, more challenges than others. Um, But in Australia, because of the regulation that's in place, we we see really strong commitments to outcomes uh, and and redoing that work whenever it does uh, actually fail. Given the scale of mine rehabilitation, We need to be able to understand what's going on. And so when you look at the edge of communities uh, and what that that post-mining land use should be, having the data available to environmental managers means that they can also communicate with uh, community groups and and stakeholders to demonstrate what is being done and that commitment to environmental outcomes and also ensure that it's appropriate uh, for the community and surrounding areas. And you're also
13: looking overseas, not just in the Hunter and in Australia. Um, How do you see this kind of coming
9: on a global scale? That's right. Dendra's operated in 20 different ecosystem types over five continents. Those different ecosystems are from deserts to rainforests to woodlands to grasslands. And we can really see that there is a global movement at the moment. Um, And the, the trends that are happening at a global scale are... Uh, fairly devastating in terms of environmental impact, whether that's increasing carbon dioxide in the atmosphere or the loss of species 10 times higher than it's been for the last 10 million years. But there is a global movement to tackle these challenges and mining and the regulations that are in place in Australian mining are ensuring that we're able to reduce the impact and and lead towards positive environmental outcomes.
1: That's land rehabilitation expert Dr Susan Graham speaking there to Bridget Murphy. Thank you. To Markets Now and Wagga Sheep and Lambs.
14: Good afternoon. 28,000 lambs and 6,000 sheep sold to a smaller group of domestic and export processors. The yarding lacked weight, and young new seasons lambs across trade weight categories lacked the carcass finish of the previous sale. Heavy young lambs were keenly sought, while heavy old lambs were the highlight of the market, surging $30. The market across the board jumped $10 to $20. New seasons, 21 to 24, 175 to 224, 24 to 26, 208 to 242, 26 to 30, 239 to 270 over 30 kilos for young lambs, 275 to 289 old trade, 166 to 205, heavy old lambs, 26 to 30 kilo, 220 to 267 over 30 kilos, 265 to 309 dollars merino trades, the better end 170 to 212, merino hoggets, 152 to 220 and crossbred hoggets, anywhere from 130 to 258 sheep yet to be sold, Leandax MLA Let's go to Dubbo Cattle now.
15: Good afternoon. The proxy 1,547 cattle penned at Dubbo. Quality was mixed with the younger cattle suiting processes, feeders and restockers and there was more Boston cattle and crossbred cattle. Also another good selection of cows on the market, a limited number of growing steers and some well-presented growing heifers. Price overall for unchanged, a few cents cheaper on the trade cattle Feeder steers sold to an easy trend of $0.10 easier. Good quality heifer feeders sold close to equal. Some of the planting cattle feeders and restockers sold from 10 to $0.20 cheaper in places. Cows and the growing cattle were from unchanged to $0.05 a kilogram easier. Bulls firm on last week. A good quality villas to the trade mate from 520 to 565 cents, restockers pay most from 555 to 656 cents and up to 750 cents for light steers. Prime yearling heifers made from 460 to 550 cents, feeders pay most between 480 to 546 cents. Prime yearling steers sold from 526 to 587 cents, a feeders mainly paid from 470 to 570 cents. Free stock of the food is also paid from 553 to 642 cents for lighter weight yielding steers. Grown heifers with cover made from 420 to 480 cents. Grown heifers sold from 420 to 508 cents. As the feed is paid to 508 cents a kilogram. Heavy cows made from 381 to 429 cents. Bulls sold from, sold to 382 cents. This has been Tim Delaney reported at MLA Dubbo. Let's
1: go to Yas Cattle now.
16: Good afternoon. There was a reduced offering of only 242 head. The quality was fair to good and yearlings were best supplied. Grown heifers were also well represented, while vealers and grown steers were limited. 50-60, mostly heavy, four-score cows were penned. The market sold to a firm to slightly cheaper trend. The few weaners to restock, 480 to 534. Medium weight feeder steers eased 3 cents, 520 to 560. The heavyweights lost 4 cents, 462 to 478. Feeder heifers were firm, with most selling between 4.70 and 5.10. Heavy trade steers 500 to 5.30. Growing heifers were firm to feed and 10 cents dearer to process, and most ranged between 4.60 and 4.81. Prime growing steers 4.75 to 4.82. Heavy cows were 5 to 8 cents cheaper with less competition, 3.60 to 4.08, and the best price bull reached 3.60. And this has been grown Richard.
1: Thanks, Graham. You're listening to the New South Wales Country. Our reminder, of course, to stay listening to ABC Local Radio about the flooding information. Uh, evacuation orders uh, available uh, at the moment in terms of towns like Forbes and also parts of Wagga as well and uh, Gunadar and Walgat. So uh, check out the latest information on the SES website and, as I said, keep listening to ABC Local Radio. It's coming up to news time, one o'clock.